0: An absolute treat on the show today. Doug Gilmore looking like Johnny Depp over there. What's going on, Doug? Not much, guys. How you doing? What are you up to, man? How's life going?
1: Life's been good. After, obviously, COVID, um, it was uh, catch-up time and a lot of uh, banquets and uh, speaking engagements were all uh, kind of put to rest for a bit. And so uh, golf tournaments and all that, you guys know about it all in the summertime. You can almost go two to three here a week. So it was uh, it was a long summer, but uh, I kind of pick and choose what I have to do.
0: You know what I you know what I always wanted to know when i when I was a kid back in probably the well it was when you were playing with the Leafs it was early nineties I had a Hespler and it didn't say Gilmore on it it said Killer and and I didn't know at the time when I had that stick and it was a straight blade it was borderline just like maybe a little little. Curve off the heel, but then for the most part it was straight. Does that sound right? Yes. Yep. Where did you get the nickname Killer?
1: Well, that started with, with uh, Brian Sutter. He was my roommate for five years in St. Louis, and really taught me how to kind of compete. And you guys know, you know, people say uh, when the game's over, t- don't take it home with you. Well, he said take it home with you. So he was, uh, I'd say, the most intense of uh, the Sutters, and, and probably the toughest out of them all too. And so I was uh, 155 pounds, uh, skinny kid, and I had a mullet, and it's like, <laughs> he called me Charlie. It was Charlie Manson. So it's, uh, I'm glad to changed the killer.
2: How the hell did you did you play in the league 155 pounds?
1: Yeah, Rez. You know what? You know how it is. Like when you put your equipment on, you don't feel like you're 155 pounds, and you know you, you look at back at some of the hockey cards and. Um, you know, when I got there, they gave me number 18 and, uh, the Jersey was like one size. So I had to use a skate lace to tie it around because it was so long. I couldn't see the puck down on my feet half the time. And then even, even when we were getting, uh, uh sticks in those days, the wooden sticks out of a dozen, you'd probably have about, uh, three, great, three good ones say. And I used to have a little heel curtain when I came out of junior and then Pat Hickey, I killed pennies with, and he had a straight stick. So I went to that because every time I got a new batch of sticks in, uh, a lot of the guys would come over, the older guys, and especially Jorgen Pedersen. He was a big Swede. And he goes, he'd look at the sticks, he goes, I'm going to take a couple of these. And every game, he, I played with him and Wayne Babbage. So uh, Jorgen was a goal scorer. He really didn't go to the corners very much. So he always said to me, I feel good. Feed me a behind this <laughs> loss every game. I feel good behind the slot because he wouldn't go near a corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's what
2: your job was. you were you're the 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 corner uh, the corner rat, just
1: digging things out and making plays. Well, you know what, Jacques Demers. Um, we had five returning centermen in St. Louis that year, and a Jacques' first year coaching. And I came out a junior with 177 points, and he goes, "Can you check?" Well what do you want to do you you want to make 23 in the minors you want to make uh, 65 pro and that's what my contract was and i said sure i'll check and i got to play against the best players for three years and finally i got the opportunity to go offense but uh it was a great learning curve and, and again I killed a lot of penalties i didn't really play power play until third fourth year but it uh was great great experience you Sometimes. know the funny so, thing
2: is the he- I just want to say like you 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 talk about you know whether you want to play in the minors or what you have to do to play in the NHL. We're talking about Doug Gilmore here. Hockey Hall of Fame produced an insane amount of points throughout his career, but to start and get your foot in the door, you had to play a certain a different style, right? And that happens to a lot happens to a lot of us that have to make a decision to maybe play something different than what we've been playing our entire lives.
1: Yeah, and because I got drafted to junior as a defenseman, um, and when I went into camp, I was a buck thirty-eight, I believe, a buck forty, and they said, "Oh, by the way, you're a centerman now." So Dan Daou was there the year before, and they won the World Cup, and I came in and kind of uh, replaced him and became a third line center, and um, and then your second year you get more points, and your third year you get more points, but it was uh, a great experience. Like I can't, uh, you know, I only probably I think my highest. Points my first three years was like fifty five, and uh, but like I said, I, I played 17, 18 minutes a game because if Gretz was out there, I had to be out there. If Marcel Dion's out there, whoever it might be, Denny Savard, and uh, you know, did, did you, you said, ever
0: keep? Did you ever keep Gretzky off the scoreboard?
1: Well, one night um, we're going into the third period and we're in St. Louis or we're, we're beating them five uh, three. I think these guys had a long night the night before, and uh, we're
0: talking the '80s Oilers. They had a long night. I think every (laughs) boys in the the bus,
1: (laughs) exactly. So, um, now get out there and obviously Wayne. He did a couple circles with the puck. I went down on my ass, and it's just he was he was that good, guys. Like he was fast, and um, you know just the the lineup, the the guys they had speed they had and stuff. So. I don't know if I ever kept him off the score sheet, but uh, I I sure tried. Was
0: Gretzky fast, though? Like, I think that's kind of like a misconception. Misconception, for sure. Like, like I feel like he doesn't get enough respect for his skating ability.
1: Well, 87 Canada Cup. You look at the guys on that team that could fly, like Glenn Anderson, Messier, Mike Gartner. You know, the list goes on. But when we were doing uh, laps, three minutes one way, take a minute break and then three minutes the other way. Gretz was right there because once he cut, he was gone. And I, I, I couldn't believe playing against him stuff. You could see it. You, you knew about it, but um, when you practice with him, you you see how fast this guy is and what he does. And uh, again, you, you know, I tried to copycat him uh, watching him play pro when I was in junior and say, so, okay, he hides behind the net. I, I like that. That's a good idea. And, um, You know, we tell the kids all the time, when I was in the the junior ranks for eight years uh, with coaching and GM side of it, it's like, kids, if you have a chance to watch your favorite player in the NHL, watch them and learn by them. And, you know, a lot of kids nowadays are just playing video games, but if you want to see the true competitors like like a Crosby or, you know, Nathan McKinnon or whoever it might be, watch what they do and try to learn from it.
0: Well, who are those guys in today's game? If you're telling young kids to watch a certain player, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, Crosby, uh, McKinnon, obviously McDavid, but is there anyone else in your mind that you're like, this is a guy you have to watch because he plays the game the right way every single night?
1: Yeah, there's so many. Like, I know times are changing. My favorite player when after I retired and when he came in the league was Jonathan Tase. I thought, you know, it's kind of more of my kind of game as well. And, and uh, you know, even uh, Mike Richards there for a little bit back in the days. And um, you know, the, the guys now it's a lot different. And you know, we get to see a heck of a player up here, a smaller guy, Mitch Marner, um, just a skill set that he has. And and uh, again, there's there's so many good ones, guys. Like you just run through the teams, and it's it's uh, it's amazing. This the what's t- the closest
2: talent. What's the closest player to you in today's game? to me and i have i have someone in my mind and and you may not we we might be arguing about this but i have someone in my mind that just you know the skill the way that he plays the game he's he's a true competitor he, he's a winner and i and i just have someone in my mind i just want to know like if you if you were to think of uh, a certain player in today's game that kind of plays that similar style, a style that you did,
1: when um, you did? You're, you're probably looking at a guy in Calgary. Kadri.
2: Uh That's a very good one, but no, I think, I think um, for me, I think you were more skilled than Kadri Kadri is, is, a, is believe yeah. me, a great, great player, but he didn't have your vision and ability to make plays the way you did. So Cadry is not the guy I was thinking about. If you You want to know? I'm dying to know it's Brad Marchand from, from Boston. You know, you, you were a guy and, and, and the way that Brad plays the game. I mean, he, he irritates other teams. He's not afraid of, of the physicality and, and, and the physical part of the game. He's got a, he's got nasty in his game, but Brad Marchand is an insane
1: talent. Yeah. No, by far. Like, he just – Right? He's one of those guys. That, again, Rives, you know, when, when you played against me, it was a little bit different. Like, for for me, I'm, guys are going to take liberties at you and different things. And I'm going to find a way to get you back uh, during that game. And yes. that's, that's how kind of we, we played. And um, I, you had to pretend that you're not all there sometimes. And you, I, I did stupid things. Like, look at when we were in Montreal, my second game.
2: Yeah, um, like, slamming, it, slamming it, the door and breaking it, oh, the. Uh, the
1: <laughs> not penalty. that one, not that one. We were my first game. We played against Buffalo, my old team, we lost at home. And Jeff Hackett got hurt, and then I put five grand on the board. And we are three days later. We're in Buffalo. My first shift, Backlund Verrata runs over uh, Jose Theodore, knocks him out. I come from one end. I get kicked out of the game for kneeing him. And so it, I lost five grand there. I got spent it for two games. So that was probably 10 grand. So it was a very expensive game for me, for my home game back in Buffalo. Yeah, but I, uh, I, it was just, you know, you're, you're teammates and you're there to stick up for each other. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was a fun ride that we had, you know, with uh, obviously it was sad with Saku, but uh, the remarkable comeback towards the end and that uh, third period that we came back and won was pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, Doug, you, you if you remember the playoffs that we played together, um, I think w- we were playing Boston. Yeah. And Boston games. at the time, I think they were, they were either number one or number two in the league.
0: They
1: were number one. Yeah. Number we one in the eight. league.
2: We just snuck into the playoffs, but we had something special with how tight our team was. Now, we weren't the greatest team on paper. No. But. I mean the 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 tightness in our locker room was something special, and we ended up kicking off what Boston in six, I think, in that. Yeah, because we were.
1: Three. I think we were down three-one going into third period, and then we we end up coming back, tying it. Then saku who scored the game winner, yeah, and uh, yeah, knocked them out. That was uh, like I said, it was a pretty crazy run, and and then you know losing to Carolina, and then the glass breaking. You know what? I didn't know if I was going to sign again. I said, "This is this is a really nice way to end my career, by uh, breaking the glass and then getting kicked out of the game or sitting in the pelly box." Where. It- I put my head down like nothing happened because I, I knew it was. <laughs> you played I, I, that I, off
2: so well; it was I, I will, unbelievable.
1: I, uh, I knew I was going to be in there forever, so I just kind of put my head down like nothing happened. Then they put me in the other box to clean the glass up, and hey, so.
0: Hey, what were you thinking when the glass shattered? Because there's no way you knew the glass was going to shatter.
1: <laughs> come on, we everybody's done that. There's no way I'm not strong enough to, to at any at any point in time in my career to, to do that, and again i just put my head down like frig what just happened It's like Did i'm not getting like, out of here were you
0: like oh my god what am i doing
1: yeah pretty much i just that's why i just put my head down like nothing happened and uh yeah it was uh but it was like i said it was a great memory um after 9-11 happened that's when i came back and Saku had cancer and i was at home i, I wasn't gonna play anymore and then uh, I got the call from uh, Ottawa and Montreal, and uh, went up to see both teams, and I chose Montreal. What was your best year? Well, I think obviously that was uh, Pat Burns' first year there, and uh, my first full season there. I came through the trade deadline, January second, uh, and um, yeah, it was just uh, it was a great year. We traded, you know, um, Grant Fuhrer for Darren Pupa and Dave Anterchuck, and then. There's my new linemate, um, a big body that can score from anywhere. She's standing in front of the net. And um, it, it was just uh, fun. You know what I mean? Like going into third period, if we're losing, I'm not playing with the or Borshewski, uh, I'm playing with uh, Glenn Anderson and Wendell. So it always changed at different times and uh, depending on if you needed a goal or not. But the team, it, it's, not, it's a little similar to the Montreal team when we beat Boston out. It was just a fun year. And, uh, everybody jumped on the same page. Everybody accepted their role. And, uh, you know, we had a a good run for two years in a row there in, uh, in Toronto, but, uh, the, my, uh, 93 season for sure was uh, the best. Oh, One of the wild. greatest
2: goals of all time, of yeah. all time with, with like, I can still remember sitting, watching that playoff game. And I think you're, were, who are were you playing? St. Louis St. at the Louis. time. Was it that was,
1: it was Cujo, that, yeah. It was Cujo, yeah. Oh my god! He my had, man. He, I think he had, uh, seventy-five shots, and we couldn't just get anything by him. And again, I the puck came around to me. I was setting up behind the net, and uh, Borovsky was hiding a slot. Anderchuk was trying to find Ruben from the net, and and. It, Big Dave kind of blocked uh, Zombo and uh Marie Baron. And uh when I did the spin around, I just had a little room there. And I've never practiced that in my life. That just happened. So it uh it was nice that it happened because uh that was a long playoff run. We played twenty one games and forty two nights. And um, you know, after games were done, you just sit on the trainer's table, put your arms out, and they put IV in you and, like you didn't even play. So that's oh, how yeah. I survived.
0: Are you sick of uh, talking about the Gretzky high stick?
1: Yeah, you know it, it's there's two two thoughts here, guys. Like it was a high stick; it wasn't a fall through. It was coming up underneath, and hit me in the chin. Um, but you just can't blame Kerry Fraser. See, if the line if Kerry doesn't see it, and the linesman call it, he's out of the game. So they're not going to do that. So all he had to do was go to Kerry and say, listen, I saw it. Just say you saw it and give him a two-minute penalty. And then we would have been four on four because Atlanta Anderson was in the box. And and he, here's the truth of this. Like, <clears throat> I forget Kerry and all that stuff. But, and <clears throat> but during COVID, they had all the games on, the old games. So I've never watched that whole game before game six. And I was so mad at the TV, how bad Kerry Fraser was the whole game. Just not the missed call. But it was like it was like I'm sitting here almost like getting intense again. I go, what you didn't see that? So um, yeah, it was it was unfortunate. But you know, if you asked me to go in the start of the season and give me Game Seven at home against uh, whoever and chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals, I would have taken those odds.
0: What was it like though back then? Like you're not in the finals, but you're going from Toronto to L.A. and you're I mean, like what what? <laughs> Well, that's that. How was that on the body? Because you're playing a, a shit ton of minutes and, yeah, and you're doing these. This that's where you're the, not recovering, man. And no, are you guys flying commercial at the time or are you
1: chartering? Them? No, no, we were chartering the playoffs for sure. And it was just, I wouldn't go to practice uh, at any time during the playoffs, go uh, down yeah, maybe for a morning skate. Sometimes I'd skate, sometimes I wouldn't at that time. But yeah, that was a long haul. And then the following year, um, we had to go to um, San Jose and play them. And then um, they decided to make um, not two, two, one, one, one. So we're playing in uh, Vancouver. So we tied it's one, one uh, when we went into Vancouver to play the next three games and we lost those a couple in overtime and stuff, but uh, yeah, they just changed the rules on that one just for, the flights.
0: So after last question about that, that year. So after you, you lose to LA and they go on to play Montreal in the finals, right? Yep. Who are you rooting for or rooting against more because you hate Montreal, but then uh, LA well, just knocked you guys out. So, so where's so great. Co- great question. Uh, like I, there's I'm, a, I'm, there's an emotional I'm, I'm, dilemma it, here.
1: It is. And But I've got a Kingston friend, uh, Kirk Muller, that's on Montreal Canadiens. So, I was cheering for them. All right. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> Toronto
2: Maple Leaf has just... Well, he was cheering for the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Well, I was cheering for Kirk Muller to win the cup. So, I, that's... I- uh, because we would have been playing against them, and it would have been a great series. And, you know, Montreal had outstanding run that playoff because they won, like, I don't know, six 12. games in overtime. Oh, was it, was it, like, 12? it was
2: like 11 or 12 games in it's overtime.
1: It's crazy. Crazy. And you know what? We, we uh, I don't know, we would have gave a, a good fight with those guys too because Pat Burns knew that team yeah. from just leave, leaving there. And, and uh, we beat him in the season a couple times. And, uh, again, it uh, wasn't meant to be, but it, it would have been a lot of fun
0: how much pressure is in Toronto because the Leafs now have this almost like, I, you know, I hate the word curses and sports and stuff like that, but they have this, uh, you know, thing dangling over their head. It's called the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, how much pressure are the players actually feeling there? Because you played there, you were a star there. You guys could have won a cup there. What what is the pressure really like in Toronto, and how is Austin Matthews and all these guys feeling? Because you've
2: comes- been in Montreal,
0: you've been in a in a great
2: market in Chicago, you've been in a great hockey market in Buffalo. You know you've been in some big markets. What is like? I, I mean, everybody I think is just dumbfounded with what's happened with Toronto and in, in the first round of playoffs, and how much is that going to eat into? And again, another very good Toronto Maple Leaf team. How much pressure do they have on on them?
1: Well, I, I, you know, and I work with the, as an ambassador with the Leafs. And, um, you know, they've somehow, you're right, guys, they've got to get through that first round. And, you know, it's all about winning together as a team and making memories for yourself. And you're not going to do it. Like the coaches can't do it, it's, it's the fans can't do it. It's got to be, the players in that dressing room so somebody's got to really pick it up who come on just uh, flat
2: out say it Dougie come on this is this they will you listen any further than, they lost, than Austin they, Matthews man
1: no I mean 100%, Austin Austin Mitch Marner your top guys Tavares uh Nylander all these guys have to compete and 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 make this work and again I think the the goaltending's um uh, operated right now and um i know Muzzin's out but uh you know the jirodinal still going as a as a top leader back there and um yeah you know it, the hardest thing is too guys like right now it looks like the playoffs started they're facing tampa again so and that's, that's what that's, i talk
0: about the pressure i mean like can they can they can players in toronto i mean you can always sense you know the fans are pissed off but Is there more pressure playing in Toronto because they're quote unquote the mecca? I mean, Montreal would be considered that as well, but Toronto has got 10 times more people and they are hockey hungry. I mean,
1: it's. Well, for sure, guys. And we're, you know, even when I played there five and a half years, it was frustrating, it was disappointing. But at the same time, you, you have to find a way to get over that hump. And you know what? They have the guys to do it. Now they just got to all be on the same page and, and uh, you know, what? don't do stupid stuff in the playoffs, especially. Um, Cause if you're playing against Tampa, you don't want Kucherov and Sam Sammer out there. Cause these guys are just uh, amazing. Well, here, what here's,
2: here's where I'm going to kind of shit on your parade a little bit. Okay. They've, they've, they've lost out for a number of years because they don't have, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm okay with saying this, and I'm not pumping the tires of old Dougie here. They don't have a Dougie. They don't have, and what I mean by that is Mitch Marner is a world-class offensive talent, and so is Willie Nylander, and so is Austin Matthews, but those players that drive the ship on that team, I'm not sure if they're capable of getting it done in the playoffs because you know, Doug, that the playoffs are a completely different monster. And you need to have your skilled your super skilled star players play with grit and, and drive and a little nasty. Okay. Yeah, and they need to no, get I out get of it. their comfort zone.
1: Well, again, I think the kid that is going to help out a little bit, I'm not saying he's the uh, top uh, five guy, but uh, Bunty, he gives a little bit of uh a little know, jam, little jam in there. And he, he's going to really need to do that, especially going into the playoffs again. So, Again, they've got some other pieces, guys, and it's like anything else. You 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 go around the league, and it's so so close now with everybody. So
0: the parity is it's oh, it's
1: it's, like look look how look how good Buffalo's been playing late. Boy, they turned it around. And when you look at a guy
0: like Tage Thompson, I like I mean, just kind of out of nowhere this year. I mean, last yeah. year was a breakout year, but this is even beyond what he was doing last oh, year, right? So. Amazing
1: the the size of that guy and the shot, the hands. Wow! It's uh, if 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 they could, uh, you know, co- continue going, and they they've got a lot of great young talent there.
0: So yeah. uh, let me let's let's go to to post hockey. So what was it? What was it like for Doug Gilmore to decide to hang up the skates? What what made it the time?
1: Well, I was on a road trip with Montreal. Uh, I believe we were we went to uh California, then we went to Nashville, then we went to uh, to Florida. And I got a call from my agent, um Pat Quinn in Toronto. They wanted a third line guy. And uh I think Riz, we were probably about four or five games out of the playoffs, and I, I made the decision. I had a house there already. And so I went Sick there. Sick
0: house, and, by the way. We were there, Dougie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I uh, Um, What can I say? I uh, second shift or first shift in the second period, I uh, blew my ACL and MCL. So I was pretty much done. Uh, I worked hard in the summer uh, with Gary Roberts to maybe possibly come back for one more year. And uh, pretty much um, John Jr. said that they didn't, uh, they're going a different way. So I knew it was time. It was 20 years and uh, the injury at the end of it. Like, uh, you know, Did,
0: did having, home. did, did having a, a cup already, uh, make it
1: easier? Well, you know, you think about it, 20 years and you won one cup and I only got there once. We lost in the semifinals two or three times, but, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's, it's never a hard or very easy decision guys, but you know what? I, I was satisfied. I played a long time and you know what? It was time. And, uh, I had no problem doing it. I had season tickets to the Leafs games. I went, you know, maybe one or two a month. And um, I kind of wanted to just get away from hockey altogether. And what I did do was, uh, with the boys were starting uh, to get, you know, I think they were turning six and four, and they are starting to get into the hockey program. and um, So I, I did that and it's uh but they
2: weren't going to play hockey dougie they were going to they were going to rollerblade cuz i remember going <laughs> to your your place uh that was in a sick place downtown in in montreal and i went over to your place one day i don't know what the hell we were doing but your boys were flying around on
1: rollerblades yeah well, uh, what's the pub there called on uh, down below it's uh, the famous street um, um there, there's a chicken wing place there um but here's yeah. So I had a I had a two main level, two story uh, condo, and the guy that uh, just bought it, and he did he had to wait about four or five months to get surveyed, renovated, and all that stuff. Was Norman Lego from Formula One, the, uh, the vice president or president? So he said, "Do whatever you want with it." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You want to paint it? If your kids want to roller skate, fly around here." And I brought all my all my furniture from the cottage in Kingston, so I, I didn't have to, you know, bring stuff uh, from Toronto. So yeah, the kids loved it. They were rollerblading all around there. It was, it was awesome. Peel, the Peel Pub, it was a Peel Street.
2: Yeah, are you talking Hurleys? The one that you went
1: down under? No, no, the Peel, the Peel Pub. It was, uh, it was on Peel Street as well. It was, it probably was Hurleys, but I think it was. But, Whatever, Dougie, but... do you
2: ever do you ever have incredible memories of the bar that you used to frequent? All, the Zanzibar? No, S- Sandzabar, Sandy, Zanzibar.
1: Yeah, I told Petey this story about. Uh, okay, this is, is lower. It... This is Lower Crescent, and the bar, the best block in there is smeared off kind of thing, and it's cement floor. It's people are smoking in there. There's homeless people in there. It was just a a crap place but nobody in there knew who i was for the first like two months so after the game was over you guys would be going somewhere and i'd say well i'm gonna go hang at the sansa bar and so i'd have a suit on and I'd walk in and it's like what do you do so i work at the bell center and they <laughs> caught they caught they caught on about a month later when i came in with stitches and they said what happened and i said well I'll just i got a puck in the like i don't even want to tell them and you guys realize you were there like there's no like nobody in their right mind really want to be in this place but
2: well that's the thing you know like you know the boys saturday night eh? i mean you get the big win i mean money goes on the board let's go big win on saturday night and then uh, let me tell you something we win it is going to be a hell of a night yeah. and you're not going home till five, six o'clock in the morning. You're just ripping it. Right. And you, we would be hitting either. There's two streets. You hit Crescent, which is more the pubs and stuff, or you're going to St. Laurent, which is a little upper class, you know, suits yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Dougie in the first month that I was there, um, we just didn't see him out. Didn't see him out. And uh, so I went to Dougie one night. I'm like, Hey, what uh what are you doing after the game? He's like, "Hey, meet me at this bar. Here's the uh Lord here's the address, yeah, yeah." so I jump in the car, my wife and I, Krista, and uh we we sit there, we jump in the car, and I'm driving away from all of the all of the the hot spots, right? We're driving yeah. into the middle of fricking nowhere, and I get to this I'm looking." at the, at the address. And I'm like, I think that's it right there. And you can g- have like the flickering neon lights that are half lit up and the doors <laughs> like, so I get out of my truck and I walk into this place. And the very first person I saw was a, uh, was a guy passed out at the bar with his yep. head on the bar. The entire place is empty on a Saturday night. And I'm looking around going, Doug Gilmore just played a prank. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I see Dougie pop up in the back. He gives me rims. Hey, so we go back. We had a, we crushed a bunch of beers and had a, had a great time, but you know, th- that's the thing. Like Doug Gilmore didn't want to go out to the bars anymore because he would have been mobbed.
1: Yeah. It no, was- I just stayed away. I found, I honestly, I just found my little dives and it was fun. Uh, I remember going in a place in, um, when I got traded to Jersey, here's a story before that I talked about this bar. So I wait two weeks. So I'm living in Secaucus, right? In the Meadowlands. And I'm waiting for my car to arrive. And I was like, finally my car arrives and I drive up, go to the front and the guy says, can I help you? I said, uh, a player, with the uh, Devils, what's your name? Gilmore. Never heard of you. Park over there. So I had to park about a mile and a half away and walk into the building. So what a difference from going there. So there was this other little pub in uh, in Jersey that the guy at the end of the bar um, he had a bird feed, bird uh, like uh, a feeder. Yeah. And he puts his seeds in there. He just sit there all day, drink beer, and eat his bird seed. And uh, it was a dump. And I loved it though. It was just uh, again, people didn't know who we were, and it was it was refreshing. Believe me.
0: Did you go out uh, in your Toronto days, you know, to to the clubs and stuff around Toronto?
1: Uh, the only club I really went to uh, would be the Phoenix. Uh, usually, it was a I think Monday night was the big night for us all to go. And
2: is it uh, still we, there?
1: Uh, the Phoenix, yeah, it, they still have bands. You know, the up-and-coming bands still go there. Um, We used to go to Wednesday's uh, Loose Moose. I know it's changed spots now, but uh, we'd go there. And then Saturday night after the game was PM Toronto's, the little dive bar as well. But they had a a downstairs underneath. And uh, after hours, we could stay and and have some drinks and and relax. So when we knew the same thing, when we knew uh, Burnsy was just giving us a day off, then, yeah, we had some fun. Who had more uh, fun, who had more fun than us in that era? Uh, no cameras. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was so much fun that like, I tell stories like I, our last year, remember we were in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, so we had a team meeting and, and there's this little guy chirping me. You know, he wants to come in and talk to us. And look, listen, I think this is probably about two weeks later I got traded, but so <clears throat> we're at the Weston Penn hotel, the bar there, the little pub. And you had to walk through the hotel to get to the bathroom. Well, I just got out of the bathroom and this, here comes this guy and uh, another guy with tattooed bald guy, tattooed head on him. And so I'm backing up, I'm backing up. So this guy's about six two, about two I'm, I'm wrestling him down on the ground. The other guy's kicking me in the head and then, finally Randy McKay came around a corner and Ron Hainsey and Ron Hainesy got suckered by this guy right in, right in the hotel friggin' lobby. So we didn't press charges. We just got out of there at the time. But what
2: did, what did crazy Randy do?
1: Well, he didn't know what was going on. He just heard from inside the bar. They came running around the hotel and <laughs> Hainsey got suckered, it broke his nose and these two guys uh, took off. So they had, they had pictures of them and, and me wrestling it on the ground and this little dweeb kicking me in the head while I'm fighting for my life against the other guy so and, and then by the time the guys found out these guys were long gone but that's that's, that's crappy stories the way that the stuff that d- d- does go on sometimes and you yeah. just kind of you got to walk away what
0: was that'll lead us to our next question. What was your favorite road city? Where did you like to go what, like dinners and stuff I mean when did you when did you unwind on the road? 'Cause you were you were back all the way when there were just you guys were flying commercial.
1: Oh, we we always flew commercial, yeah. Except uh, if uh, playoffs if it was a back to back. But uh no, we had a, a lot of good nights. Um, you know, at LA was always a great trip 'cause you know, we were in uh, St. Louis, we'd we play we'd leave on a Sunday, we'd get there Sunday night, we play Tuesday night and Thursday night and then come back Friday. So, you know there was a lot of fun going on and uh, Marina Del Rey and places like that, that we would always uh, go hang at. Um, so, you're more the Can- West
2: Coast guy. You like the West Coast.
1: Yeah, like Vancouver was great too. Like, again, when you're a Toronto Maple Leaf and Calgary Flame kind of thing, Canadian, Montreal, it's a little harder in Canada. But yeah, once you get to, you know, obviously Chicago's a great place. Yeah, um, and I don't
2: have those problems with, uh, yeah. you
1: know. <laughs> yeah. But it's just—it's uh, one of those things that you always found a place from, you know, the veteran guys. That uh, I guess that's how come I get stuck at the and stuff because that, those are the places that we'd like to go.
0: You—you've uh, mentioned Pat Burns a few <clears throat> times today. What made him so loved by everybody that played for him? Because it, it always seemed like from the outside that was a guy that you would never want to play for.
1: You know what? He was a big teddy bear. Um, he had that police officer mentality. He, he's going to scare you and intimidate you. But at the same time, he was your friend. And, uh, the only thing he said to me, he goes, all I need you to do is come to and be the hardest working guy every day. And if you do that, everybody's going to follow. And that was it. We didn't have many discussions after that. Um, he just, uh, you no, know, he's, he's one of the guys, like if we're going to, was Vancouver, he a player
2: coach? Even though oh, yeah. he was tough as nails, he's, and he had gonna that, be,
1: he's going to be tough on fourth line guys and you know younger guys, um, depending on your skill level and stuff. But he'd he'd say to Wendell or I, he "Goes, where are you guys going tonight Vancouver? Because <laughs> they want to go somewhere as well. So we just got to make sure that we got to get there the same spot. We got to get there before them. That's the rule. If we we're there before them, they can't come in." So did you um, ever
0: have to like did the coaches ever come in? I've never seen that. I always heard that rule when I was in the league. You know, if, if players walk in and the coaches there, the players have to leave. If the coaches yeah. walk walking and the players there, the coaches have to leave. I never experienced that in my time in the league. I don't know if maybe by the time I got there, guys had just gone in completely different directions or knew where the coaches were going, but
1: yeah. i never witnessed that. Have you guys ever had well, to leave well, Bernsie, or have coaches leave? Bernsy would, you know, people would call in and say, oh, we saw some players out last night. And, you know, anytime I'd see Bernsy come uh, blow the whistle, hey, come here, he wants to smell me. And so I had 8535 all over my shoulder pads, all over the crest of the maple leaf. So all I could smell is heat coming off me. And, but if we we would know Mike Kitchen and Mike Murphy and Pat Burns. We would know as soon as they got out for practice, Mike Kitchen would fly around the ice about four or five times. If he went down, because he's hungover, we're not gonna practice that day. Burns is gonna blow the whistle because they're too hungover. So it's it's uh we would look at him going, okay, hopefully these guys are hungover today. So we don't have to practice. So um uh, but that's, Wasn't Mike
0: Kitchen like just like a genetic freak in unbelievable yes. shape? I always remember hearing about him. He's a legendary assistant coach who yeah. would who would bag the guys harder because he could do the bag skates easily. Hundred percent.
1: He was he was the first guy. He would be the one of the fastest guys out there. Obviously, he had no equipment on either, but he'd be doing all the drills. That was James around. Patrick here in Buffalo. Yeah, exactly.
2: Like Jeep- the guy was a genetic freak, and you're sitting there getting bagged. And yeah. the, co- the assistant coach who is like been out of hockey for five years passing you. I'm like, yeah. what is going on here?
1: Yeah, no, he was uh, exactly the same. Like Kitch was a smaller guy. Um, could He was a defenseman. He played in the NHL a little bit and, but could fly. And, you know, I, he, he was one of those guys. Uh, I never really had run ins with coaches and stuff that too often, but there was one practice that um i think i I knew i was getting traded and we're getting bagged and i think i was getting that traded that day and i kind of threw my stick across the ice in a corner where one of the coaches were and went right over his head (laughs) and uh i apologized to him but that was the only time i really kind of got you know pissed off on on practice at a coaches but the true reason why I was already up in Cliff Fletcher's office and he said, okay, the deal's, the deal's done and we're just waiting to sign the paperwork. So now I have to go to jump on a bus, a school bus in Toronto, go to St. Mike's, get bagged for an hour, come back, pack my bags and fly to Jersey. So that's why I wasn't too happy.
0: Which trade? That was your trade from uh, Toronto, oh, Toronto. To, Toronto to Jersey? Your trade yeah. from Calgary, that was a big deal, wasn't it? I, how, there, weren't there like... Six or seven
1: players? T- uh, ten altogether, five and five.
0: It was five yeah, and so, five.
1: So I was, uh, you know, Doug Rice and I didn't really see eye to eye as players. And then he was the assistant coach who won the cup, and then he became assistant general manager. And then he became the general manager. That's a year Cliff Fletcher left to go to Toronto. And I took uh, uh, Doug Brown to arbitration. And we felt that we did pretty well with it. And he wasn't too happy about that. We're in uh, San Francisco. Uh, I got a joining room to somebody. I get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, go to the bathroom. My joining room is Doug risewell He's on the phone. I'm fucking trading. Excuse my language. I'm trading Gilmore. I'm getting him out of here. And uh, so I, I knew. I you're on the other side of the door. Yeah, laying down now, li- listening to all this. So I, <laughs> I called I call my agent, and I, Larry Kelly. I said, hey, Larry, uh, this is what's going on. So I planned on we're playing against Montreal New Year's Eve, and then we have a dinner party afterwards. So that day I uh, morning skate, I grabbed about ten sticks, took them home, played that night. Um, next morning we had a long day with the guys, but I told my teammates that I was um, going to go play with Team Canada because it was in Calgary at the time, so I could go train with them until something's up. So I knew I was getting traded. So next day I walked in, uh, sat at a table with Doug Risebrow, about twenty feet away from each other, and he says, "If you walk, I'm going to trade you." I said, "Okay." So I left, and uh, did the
0: did l- the hotel room conversation come up? Did you? Oh, no. The- oh no,
1: no, no, no. I I knew I was going. So it's just like uh, I didn't know it was going to be that quick. It was less than twenty four hours after I saw him, and it was a ten player deal, five for five. So uh, I was pretty excited though you know, having the chance to go back uh, home and playing with another original six team. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Like, well, was Toronto, a- your team growing up though? Well, my brother played uh, in London with uh, Dan Maloney and Daryl Sittler in junior. So I became a Daryl fan and my favorite player was Bob Orr growing up because he was a defenseman, number four. That's what I wore in minor hockey and, um, until this '99 uh, kid came in, and and then my game changed where I was a forward. So, um, yeah. So again, we're right in the middle, Kingston, is between Montreal and Toronto. And and again, I was a Bobby Orr Boston Bruins fan. There's was uh, Rick Smith and Wayne Cash, were from Kingston as well, and and obviously Don Cherry. So. That was in the the light there. But we used to go to – my dad was a ball player, so we used to go to Jerry Park all the time in in the summer uh, to go watch the Expos play. So so a little bit of Montreal with the players as well.
0: I loved when you kissed Don Cherry on the cheek
1: back in Hockey Night in Canada. Graves, he was good friends with my parents. Uh, They went to the same school together and all that stuff. And um, Graves also coached my brother, Chester. So – uh, I've known him a long time, and he said to me, I was in St. Louis, I think it was my fourth year, and first uh, first round, it's three out of five and game five in uh, Minnesota, and Grape said to me, he goes, hey, Hockey Night Canada, if you want to be on, do something. So, uh, I didn't plan that way, but I had a goal and three assists that night, and we won five-three, so I got the first time on uh, Hockey Night Canada with Grape, so...
0: He loved awesome. Doug Gilmore, man. He Dougie loved Doug Gilmore. Doug Gilmore. Doug <laughs> Gilmore. Hey, Doug Gilmore. Gilmore. Doug Gilmore. Doug Gilmore. Doug Gilmore. He loved Doug Gilmore. Yeah. That was a, that was a spot on one of his uh, Rock'em Sock'em hockey
1: videos. Just well, absolutely- I, in the playoffs when I was in Monch- or, uh Sorry, uh, Calgary. I had to shake his hand before every game. And that was my tradition and I couldn't find him game six going into Montreal. And then finally he came out just before he was going to go on. We shook hands. I had my skates on and everything. And uh, then we won that night. So
2: Tradition or superstition?
1: Superstition. There
2: you go. It's funny. (laughs) Crazy hockey players. We We were talking in another pod about how crazy hockey players are with their superstitions. And, you know when you come into the league at at whether you come in at twenty or whatever, by the time you leave you're a complete mess. Like I oh, mean, yeah.
1: everything Every, and all everything had to go on my right side first. My my socks, my skate, my elbow pad, everything had to be right first, and then I put the left one on. So I was just why it's so stupid, but. That's what we lived with. So, whatever works, and uh, you cut. Amazing how sad our lives were. Eh? Where
2: basically (laughs) all it was was structure, and it was like being in the military.
1: Ribs knows the rink in Montreal, and I used to sit in the trainer's room, and the linesmen would always send their skates over to get uh, uh, sharpened before the game. And I would little Ray Scampanelli the one time. I take his uh, lift out and I put rivets underneath it. So he's he's skating out there on his heel in the first period. And I'm going, hey, be how's your right foot? He goes, you bastard. What did you do? And then, you know, the, 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 the rivets are the eyelids at the top. I put the rivets in there to screw them in so they couldn't get the top laces through. And they, they, they knew it was me. And they, like, son of a bitch, do not. So they actually ended up taking all the, skate sharper to the visiting team not to our side because i'd fuck around those skates
2: <laughs> well listen i mean that's dougie gilmore in a nutshell man it was like the prank central like all he did all day long i can still remember like if you look up tsn pranks on teammates oh i'm in there the water because bottle. the old water bottle like and you're, you're like, you're, you're breathing. I'm sucking wind. Like there's nobody's business. I got to go over and get some water. And the last thing I want to do is take a nice water bottle, put it up to my mouth and have it pour all over me. And here's the thing. Like at that point in my career, there wasn't a whole lot of guys that would prank me. That's how I knew. Like what soon as that water bottle pour it all over my chest. I sat there and I'm like, immediately I knew it was Doug. Oh. I'm just like, where is he? And he's you in know, the corner laughing by himself. And he gives me the old. Well,
1: bite. I'm pretty good at this one thing where I used to shoot the pucks at players and, and the coaches. Okay. So I would fire the puck and then I'd put my gloves like this under my arms and I'd go down and tie my skates uh, while I'm still skating. And I would be fucking dying laughing. I hit Dirk Graham one time in Chicago. His like his skate blew apart. He went down on the ice. I went down. I started doing push-ups and I was crying. So I think that one of my favorite ones, Riv was in Montreal with George Gillette, the owner. So in my stick, I didn't have a, a, a knob part uh, wood piece in it. So I'd fill my stick full of water, and I'd look at George, and he'd come by and just right before warm-up with his crew. And I said, George, look at these sticks. You're paying for these. Look how heavy they are. So he grabbed my stick. He goes, Oh my goodness! You're and put it up to light. It's all worked. You go like this, and he's got a five thousand dollars suit on right before the game, and it's soaking wet. This is the owner <laughs> of the Montreal Canadiens, by the way. Oh boy! So <laughs> and, then, and then we had then we had uh, Tommy Boy Foster. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: This his son was I he his son was really young at the time. He was only like 25 years old, I think. Yeah. And uh he was kind of like trying to take over uh to run the Montreal Canadians and Dougie was calling him Tommy
1: Boy. It was it was <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, when when I decided to go back there my last year and we went to in Colorado and uh I called Foster up and I said, Hey Foster, listen. I signed, I'm coming back, but in training camp, I don't like staying at the hotel, so I want to stay at your dad's house. And he goes, Okay, okay. And I I get off the phone, I'm just dying laughing. (laughs) So we take what three buses up to the house, and there's a sign about 25 by 20 feet, 25 carved out in wood, Gilmore's house on the front of his property. And everybody's looking at me, going, Oh boy. And then, then you guys, you guys got good though at the wine cellar that night.
2: I, I, listen, Doug, I'm going to tell you right now. You have no idea. I can't remember
1: anything. Oh, really? I we, can't we had, remember. There was anything. you, you. Savi I don't I don't want to know what I did. We were down in the his wine cellar. We got him drunk before dinner. George had to go to bed. <laughs> we were drink. We were drinking five thousand dollars bottle of wine. Well that's
2: so, so that was when so we went to Colorado for for training, training camp that year. Yeah. Yeah. And we stayed in Vail and yeah. it was it was something special. Like we it worked was. hard. We worked hard, but we also enjoyed um the elements. Yeah. Like, do you remember the golf course that we went to? The the did you play golf? No that is golf course. No, it is. It's one it is one thing I never
1: did. It's one thing I never did during the season. I, I would never play. Members. Golf. 50 members.
2: Fifty members of this golf course it literally did not have one divot in the entire course it looked like nobody and i mean nobody has played it it was the most breathtaking course that went all through the mountain it was something that i've never seen before
1: yeah you know it you go through so many stages of your career and you have good coaches you have bad coaches but we I was with Chicago, and we're in uh, Phoenix, and it's mandatory. We're all golfing, coaches, trainers, everybody. So we have a nice golf day. Next day, we got practice at 10 o'clock. About 20 minutes after, you know, some drills and stuff, Derek Graham blows the whistle. Everybody come in. We're all in circles. Okay, who had seven or more beers last night or yesterday? So I'm like, hands up. And Danny Cleary is my roommate. I said, put your hand up. So there's about six of us that put our hands up. He goes, Okay, you guys are telling the truth. You guys are off the ice, the rest of you guys are lying. No <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, we got off the ice. So it was that was that was a good one just to see, you know, who's gonna bite or not bite. And I would like, oh come on, he, he knows he saw us out. He saw us having beers on the course. So you're not going to lie about it. And then, oh, uh, it, it was a good one, though.
0: What a great lesson for a young guy, too. Hey, eh? Dan Cleary, just a kid, <laughs> yeah. just just own up to it right now and and suffer the consequences if any later. It's, um, you know, it's it's hilarious, and we'll 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 let you go here. And we can't, I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for your time today. But, um, you brought up shooting pucks at the coaches because I was I was a young prospect when you were here in Buffalo, and we had training camp in St. Catharines. And we yep. were on the same team at training camp and we were, and we were stretching and I was, and I being an 18 or 19 year old kid, I went and I stretched right here, Doug Gilmore. Fuck. Why would I not? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't think I'm going to make the NHL. So I'm going to soak up every second <laughs> that I have in the league. I'm going to go sit next to fucking killer. I had his as ass Right. And, um, you, the Haspler, I love it. I was standing in line behind you. This was at the stretch at the start of practice. I was standing in line behind you, one of the drills, and you rip a puck across the ice. And you and he hammered Brian McCutcheon in the ankle, who's the Rochester Americans head coach, who's, <laughs> who's, who's up running the practices. And McCutcheon's looking around, and I'm like, holy shit, I hope he doesn't think it's me. And then, and then Doug, you take off and do the shift, right, or do the drill. <laughs> and then and then i end up down in the line behind you again at the other end and I'm like, what are you, I was like, did you do that on purpose? You're like, oh, fuck yeah. I have a tendency. I have a history and I'm known for snapping pucks at coaches' ankles all the time. He goes, watch this. He rifles another one across and hammers. I think it was Don Lever. <laughs> he, was, and he hammers Don Lever in the foot. And I, and I'm just kind of like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I'm sitting behind, you know, the, here I am this fucking young prospect thinking, are they gonna think it's me doing this? You know? <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to share that. <laughs> they, you were they, they you you were, were always listen, I was just a young kid. You were great to me. You were always great to the young guys. You were a very, very nice guy in the locker room, especially with the status that you had. So thank you for that. And the last thing I'll say to you, did you ever think that after the Leafs were sponsored and I carried the jersey, the milk there they have the milk on the jersey, that your picture would resurface with the cow legs?
1: <laughs> I went I went to the game. Um, the next uh, generation game and two days before I met with the milk board and they said you're going to wear the cow pants and you're going uh, to hand out milk and cookies before the game so I did and uh, yeah it was it was kind of ironic that it came back out and people that uh, had those pictures still it's it's laughable but real quick on that story they said you still have the milk tights and I'm like guys they weren't tights so when I w- did the commercial I had to go in they gave me a Speedo, okay? Mm-hmm. Put the Speedo on. And I stood there. They shaved my legs and painted for three hours of makeup. Shut up. And I, yeah. And then when, it, when it, I'm doing the commercial, I have to take the jersey off because the makeup's all over the place. So they got to retouch up my legs and everything else. And then the milkboard, they have people that are coming down to say hi to you. You're standing there with cow legs uh speedo on and no shirt and i'm like really turn the heat up please but i'm looking (laughs) at
2: this picture right now so this is you're telling me that this is paint they're not spandex pants no
1: that was all all makeup
2: well the fun here i'm looking at the picture and it's i'm i'm surprised you can even stand up with these pins
1: (laughs) i i carry a towel when i walk inside the dogs keep pissing on my legs (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's Doggies, not, thank you very that's much, not man. not
0: milk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and, hey, listen, you're you a goddamn marketing machine, man. You had the Pert Plus going with the hair. You had the, the Head and shoulders. Or head you and shoulders. What? Sorry, head and shoulders.
1: Head and shoulders. Actually, when I signed my new contract there, uh, the Maple Leafs uh, had all the rights to the endorsements. So... They were, they were, yeah, filling me up uh, with the head and shoulders, great hair, can't have flakes. So, yeah, it was fun, though. The, the milk one was a lot of fun because a lot of the kids that are like six, seven years old, hey, that's that milk guy, wasn't the, the hockey guy. So Incredible. it was pretty cool. You're, Enjoy, you're- guys. I'll catch up with you guys up there one of these days soon. That's a
0: wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle. And at Gregoryve 52 at the Instigator 76. And you can find us as you already know on Apple Spotify and YouTube and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.